Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Think about this, 8,000 meters below the surface of the ocean. It's a lonely place. There's not a lot of stuff going on down there. In fact, many scientists believed that no fish could live there until now. Yes, the scientific community has hit a new low. They have found a fish swimming off the coast of Japan in the northern Pacific Ocean in waters 8,336 meters below the surface, the deepest that's ever been recorded for a fish. It's the humble little snail fish. The researchers who made this discovery were from the University of Western Australia. And a few days after that discovery, they then caught a couple of little snail fish at a depth of 8,022 feet. That was also a record. Alan Jameson is a professor at the University of Western Australia and was the chief scientist of the expedition. And he's with us now. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. So first off, congratulations on this in, uh, incredible discovery that you've made. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a, it's been hard work. It's not been, it's not been easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Uh, how long have you been working on this particular project? It, it, they all kind of roll into one. It's almost like it's just part of your career. But to get the expedition off the ground in Japan, believe it or not, because of Japanese bureaucracy, it took about eleven months of paperwork. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I don't think people, people appreciate how, much, how, how difficult it is to take a foreign vessel into someone else's country to do research that involves a submarine. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, because you're going pretty deep. But let's let's ignore the paperwork, because I want to talk about this is so cool. And just a big question off the top. As a marine biologist, does it does it feel like you have a handle on what's down there or is it the opposite? Does the potential for new things at the bottom of the ocean just seem infinite? It's kind of a difficult question because one of the things that regularly irks me is every time we talk about the deep sea, someone says we know nothing about the deep sea or these ridiculous phrases like we know more about the moon than the deep sea, which is total nonsense. And uh, it feels like we want to believe that we don't know anything about the deep sea. We keep telling ourselves like a mantra, we know nothing about the deep sea. We totally do. We've been working, <laughs> people have been working in the deep sea hundreds of years, right? And people are out there all the time, just more and more stuff. There's thousands of publications coming out about what we know. And But then this, on the same breath, the sheer size of it, when you if you go to Google Earth and turn the Earth to the Pacific Ocean, it's pretty much half the half Half the planet is ocean, and pretty much all of the Pacific is is about four and a half thousand meters deep. And so, when you look at that, you're like, "Well, maybe we haven't actually explored that much." <laughs> but but then at the same time, we can go to places that no human being has ever been before, and we're actually pretty good at, at guessing what's there. This deepest fish story, for example, no one had ever recorded a single fish in that entire trench, and that trench is the same volume as the Himalaya. 
And we said two years ago, there'll be a fish in that trench and it's probably going to be the deepest one in the world. And we went there and right enough, new species of fish, deepest one in the world. So then wow. I'm thinking, well, we do know about the deep sea, right? But then it, it's, so it's a, it's complicated because it's, I don't know, I think we're battling our own psychology here. We keep telling ourselves we don't want to think that we've got a handle on this, but in some aspects we do. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it because I do hear that all the time. We know less about the ocean yeah. than we do about the moon. So yeah. let's talk about this fish that you found. It's the snailfish. It was 8,336 meters underwater. And a lot of people said, oh, no fish could live that deep. Describe what conditions are like when you're that deep in the ocean. Oh, so uh, 8,336 meters has a pressure of around 800 kilograms per square centimeter. So... I like to, th to to put that in context. I'd probably normally look at my fingernail and say that's a square centimeter. So you imagine 800 kilos pushing down on that. That's the, the ambient pressure. Wow. And, uh, which is mental. The temperature is less than two degrees Celsius. Uh, complete darkness and very, very low food supply. Oxygen's pretty good, but uh, yeah, the, the big things are the, the dark. The pressure, the low temperature, and there's hardly any food. So it's, it's, if I were a fish, I would go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and the way you describe it, that would explain the unmanned sub. The uh, yeah, we, we have both. We have both. So to study fish, we use unmanned systems that, that free fall off the ship and they take about three or four hours to get down. And the cameras are rolling the whole time. They were measuring all sorts of parameters. And then the, the fish and big crustaceans come to us. They come to the bait and we film it. Some wow. they come in the traps. And then at the end of the dive, we send an acoustic signal to them and they drop away and float back to the surface. And then we go pick them up and download it. So we don't have any real time comms with us, but they're great for mobile animals because we were bringing them to a static lander. When we're in the sub and we go, we go, Ten and a half thousand meters in the submersible, uh, the distribution of fish is so low that you could probably drive around all day and you wouldn't see one. You, you need to gather them to a, a point, and that's why we use that. So we use the sub to look at all the animals that don't move, and the landers are the things we use to to film stuff that does move. Right, and the the film of the snailfish, uh, I was very impressed. It's so crisp and clear. I, I assume yeah. there's a very bright light. And uh, what kind of cameras do you use? We use, uh, they're HD cameras, but they're off-the-shelf commercial ones from a company in California. So they, I mean, when I started this about 15 years ago, our deepest camera ended up weighing about 100 kilos to withstand that pressure because we had whole video encoder cards in there. It was practically an entire PC in a tube. And then by 2014, it became much, much smaller, but it still weighed about 30 kilos, but at least it was one person lift. Now they're about less than one kilo. And it's just the electronics are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, the, the days of having these big underwater cameras when the power you have in your iPhone is far superior to any of these big underwater cameras, then, then and things are getting smaller and, and things are becoming more affordable as a result of that. So the technical challenges we have in the deep sea are, are I wouldn't say over, but way better. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the, just the footage lo- just looks so great. And it made me think because I've, I've been uh, thinking about this uh, moon mission that they're they're kind of working up to to go to the moon. And I'm thinking when they get to the moon, I bet the footage that they're going to get is going to be a lot better than it was in 1969. For sure. It's nice of you to say that. Yeah, I can tell you work on radio, not TV, because whenever we send these videos to TV companies, they're like, it's not high resolution enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's got to be 4k or 8k or 16k or whatever you know and it's like come on give us a break we got it from 8,000 meters deep you know do we not get something for that yeah no kidding come on cut these guys a break um so after you got that footage and that was a record for the deepest fish the snailfish uh you set another record by capturing two snailfish yeah. also below 8,000 feet um first of all how do you catch the fish with an unmanned sub like that it's a really ridiculous high-tech meets low-tech solution to this. So the, the lander itself is about, I don't know, one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars worth of gear because the complicated bit is the acoustic system to get it up and down. To catch the fish, we go to the local fish shop, uh, fish and tackle shop, and we, we buy a creel, essentially, uh, and put some mackerel in it and just cable tie it onto the bottom of the lander. And that's enough. That's all it takes. Wow. That's that's so, so like, like twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and the fish that you caught, the snailfish, uh, considering how deep it is, they don't look that weird. Because in my experience of all, whenever they show fish that are really really deep, there are always these bizarre things with the with the like the lamps and everything. But yeah. these fish look kind of standard. Well, there's stories to that. So whenever you see the fish which are black with bioluminescent lures and the big huge teeth and the gaping mouth and the really freaky looking stuff spoiler alert is they're not that deep they're all in the top 500 meters they're 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 not even i would i would say they're not really deep sea fish they're dark sea fish those those are fish that live in the midwater with very very low light conditions and all those adaptations you see are about hunting in the dark or in twilight when you get down on the, the real deep sea on the bottom Things tend to be neither freaky enough to get on TV or cute enough to get on TV. They fall in this middle category where they're just a bit kind of woebegone, right? They're just yeah. A bit kind of sad looking and so on. But the <laughs> thing, the thing with snailfish, yeah, they're the worst PR. They're, they're never going to be, better, right? <laughs> Not with cool people like about, you. Yeah. The cool thing about snailfish is that they are, snailfish as a family of fish are not deep sea fish. They've just completely obliterated the, 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 the real deep sea fish. So, Snailfish, there's about 300 or 400 species of snailfish, but they're pretty much all of them are in the shallow end. There's some that even live in estuaries. And what's happened at the moment is that snailfish as a family are kind of relatively new to the earth. And that means they're, they're speciating. So they're just evolving into all sorts of interesting ecological niches all over the place. And a whole bunch of them just happen to go deep. But the snailfish, which is just exactly the same as one you would think of at 100 meters, they're now a thousand meters deeper than the next deep sea fish. So the classic big rat tail or the cuskeels or these things that look very deep sea. These little cute little snailfish that look a bit like sock puppets yeah. <laughs> are actually a thousand meters, a thousand meters deeper than the normal deep sea fish. And that's, I think that's the greatest story about snailfish is that they're the most reluctant accidental hero of the deep sea. Uh, tell me about uh, the Japan Trench. I think like a lot of people, I can only name one trench. That's the Mariana Trench, right? That's the, yep. the deepest one. But yep. tell me about the Japan Trench that you found this in. Japan Trench are 
or is uh, there's multiple trenches around Japan. And the reason why Japan gets so many earthquakes and the reason why Japan looks like that kind of banana shape is because that whole tectonic plate is being pushed out of the ocean, right? So Japan is the, the corner of a very big tectonic plate. And it's one of the few places in the world where you have what's called a triple junction. So you have a junction between three tectonic plates rather than two. So brief history of tectonics. When you see hydrothermal vents and volcanoes, that means new seafloor is being created. And they will be on the top of a ridge that's spreading out. It's creating new earth. But of course, the earth isn't getting bigger. So you have to lose something elsewhere. So where it gets lost is where two tectonic plates meet head on and they plunge down into a trench. Right? So you've got the opposite of the hydrothermal vents. You've got the deepest places. Now, in Japan, you have this crazy triple junction thing. So the, the Japan Trench itself runs east of the mainland Japan, and the, where we saw the deepest fish kind of continues down towards the islands of Iwo Jima and places like that. And there, Japan is 8,000 metres deep. Ogasawara is 9,500 metres deep. And they're very seismically active. And the reason why we think we're finding so many endemic species, so things change around 6,000 metres, and it's not to do with the pressure. It's, in this case, it's not to do with the light. It's not to do with the food and everything else. It's to do with disturbance. Because every time Japan gets an earthquake, big chunks of seafloor are collapsing. And that's burying everything. And it suspends sediment in the water column. It chokes stuff. It's, it's big damage. And so animals that live in the trenches have to have a very quick turnaround. So we find that the ones in the trenches are very young. It's like rats. If you can take out 20% of a rat population, you can buy it next Tuesday and they're back up 100% again. Right. right. Whereas if you take 20% of the whale population, it might be 200 years before it comes back again. And so what's happening in the deep sea is a lot of these animals are very, very old, maybe 80, 100 years old. When you get down to the deepest places, you find they're like 10 years old. And so it's all to do with the tectonic setting and these how these big trenches are formed and how why they keep rumbling all the time and, they're, and, and disturbing these communities. Wow. So, so let's talk about the, the environmental impact that, uh, humans are having on the ocean. Are things affected that deep by, uh, environmental yes. damage? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So we did a whole bunch of studies over the last five or six years. The first one started when we were looking at, there's two particles called pollutants called PCBs and PBDEs. PCBs are plasticizers that were used in things like hydraulic oil. And PBDEs are the first generation flame retardants. Mm -hmm. And these are chemicals that were man-made in the 1950s. So these are, do not occur in the natural world. And they were eventually banned by the eighties because people realized that these things are terrible. These particles are, are, are accumulating in animals. I and mean, you and I have them in us right now and we cannot get rid of them. And so we did a study of taking the animals from the deepest place in the southern hemisphere and the challenge of the deep, deepest place in the world looked at the animals, right enough, every single one was contaminated with these particles. And they're never going to go away because once an animal eats another animal, it inherits these pollutants. This is what bioaccumulation is, right? So you've long digested the animal, but you've taken all its bad bits. And so then we were asked at that point, can you look at microplastics? So we looked at microplastic across six trenches and every single animal from the Mariana Trench had at least one piece of plastic in its gut. Wow. And that's deep. Every single one. Yeah, yeah, that's eleven thousand meters. Yeah, that's something to think about. So, uh, before I let you go, I'll just ask you: What's your next big challenge? What What's your eye looking towards? Deep June down the first. June the first. 
I'm going to leave Mexico, sail across to Hawaii and then down to Tahiti. And we're going to stop five times on each leg and deploy everything we've got to try and work out. Rather than it being a vertical question like the trenches, it's a big horizontal question, how things are changing over thousands and thousands of miles. Wow. Well, that, that sounds interesting. And uh, what's your favorite deep sea fish? I guess right now it's probably the snailfish, but do you have a, a particular After this favorite? week, I'm getting bored of the snailfish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I encourage anyone to go look for a deep sea fish called the chimera. Chimera. It's very cool. Yeah, it's like a weird Frankenstein of lots of different animals living in perfect harmony for millions of years. Doesn't really have any shallow water relatives. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.